The first reading is in Isaiah chapter 42, page 602, starting at verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. The second reading is in Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 15, page 817. Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we can now open your word. We pray for Tom as he teaches the children. We pray for um, clarity and precision. We pray for Rob in the same way that um, he will speak clearly and that we might understand it. We pray that you would pour your spirit now, that we might uh, gain wisdom from your word. Amen. We're in this uh, three-part series uh, in Isaiah. So if you haven't uh, been here the last couple of weeks, that's what we've been doing. So you can catch up with that on our website. I think at least the first talk is on there. The second one we're definitely on fairly soon. But we, we sort of, we did chapter 7, a bit from chapter 7, we did a bit from chapter 9, and now we're in chapter 11. So that's the main passage we're going to be looking at in our time together this evening. But don't worry, I will just do a quick, for those who weren't here, I will just do a quick summary of what we learnt uh, last week, which was in chapter 9. So last week we looked at this description of a child or a boy to be born of a virgin, one who would rule forever. We heard this description, it said, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Now, because it's the same prophet, we're just looking a couple of chapters later, there'll be some of those things that we pick up in our time together this evening. Uh, But our summary of those names, if you just pick out the the names, Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's what he will be called. Um, We said, didn't we, that um, what's going to characterise this king is that he's going to be compassionate enough to want to help and that he is going to be powerful enough to be able to help. It's all very well him being compassionate enough, wanting to help. But if he's not very powerful, if he's not mighty God, he he can't help us. And the other way around, if he was all-powerful and not all-loving and compassionate, if he had no compassion on us, then then he wouldn't use that power for for us. Uh, But we were seeing those two things last week. 
And this, this week we're looking at uh, chapter 11, uh, so keep that open in front of you. Um, the next description Isaiah gives, it's not quite as familiar to us, I don't think, as the last one, because the last one you will hear spoken of a lot in church, particularly around Christmas time. Uh, put your hand up if you heard that reading before, I just read. Okay, did you hear it at Christmas time? Yes, okay, great, point proven. Um, but this one's a slight, slightly less familiar to us. Um, and yet we're going to look at it and see how this picture of the king, the, the boy to be born who would rule forever, how that picture sort of develops and gives us a bit more detail. Uh, so we're going to see sort of five things uh, from verses one to five. And then we're going to look at verses six to nine. And that will show us what life under this rule will be like, what, it will, what the experience of that will be like. First of all, we're going to look at the king, what he is like. And then we're going to look at what his life under his rule is like. And so let's just look down at verses 1 and 2. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So the first thing we're told about this new shoot, or this, this, this branch that bears fruit, uh, from from the, the stump of Jesse, which is David's son, so we're talk, talking about a kingly line again. The first thing we're told is that he is going to be spirit-filled. He said that, didn't it? And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, actually, this, this isn't all that surprising, because all of the kings in the Old Testament that God gave for his people were spirit-filled. If you want to just turn with me back to page 239 all of the kings that God gave for his people had to be spirit-filled for the task. So if you look with me at uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, and Samuel the prophet took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So this description is, is, is not entirely new. It's not like the king's role is, is suddenly changing and shifting from what the king's role in, the, in all the kings were meant to be. They were all spirit-filled for the task of ruling God's people righteously. And so a lot of the things we're going to be looking at actually were things they were meant to do. Their job description, David's job description. And we're going to see actually how he can only do it imperfectly and how Jesus does it perfectly. So let's have a look at some of the things um, back in Isaiah 11 um, that it says the Spirit will give him. In verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Suggesting that verse 5 is is the summary verse of this section. Uh, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. We're going to come back to those two words, righteousness and faithfulness, because we get a bit confused when we get descriptive words, particularly long ones. But we're going to look at how those two things might be different. Okay, But for now, let's look at how, how he's going to be able to rule, what he's going to be able to do. Who's going to bring justice? This, this is one of the main words we get uh, for, that is used to describe the rule of this individual. 
and what his rule will bring about. Just have a think with me just for a minute. Pick one area of your life at the moment. Could be work. Could be your family. Could be something you're planning to do this week. And I bet you that in every single area of life you're thinking of, there will be an aspect to it where people are calling for some kind of justice in that area. They're calling out for justice or they're calling out injustice when they find it. And maybe it's at work. I'm looking at George over there. At home, you know, that's not fair. When have we said that? Or our children have. You know, we're all calling for justice, aren't we? All the time. And we're sort of referring to it as if this is this some, some kind of thing that we should have. And we want. Kenny mentioned the football last night. Of course, the chat afterwards was all about the referee. Now, if the referee had made the right decisions, if he, he'd been fair on England, of course, it's always the fact that he's unfair on England. But if he had been fair, so we think, then everything would have been okay. So we're always calling, aren't we, for some kind of human adjudicator, adjudicator someone to, to do that. And we kind of want them to be. We want them to be impartial, unbiased, and infallible. We want the referee, referee to get it right every time. We want our boss to get it right every time. We want our parents to get it right every time. And yet, they can't. Have you ever thought about why that is? Why can't they get it right every time? Why can't their rule, why can't their justice be full, complete? Well, this is one whose rule will always be fair. He's always going to treat everyone fairly. Um, You can see that by um, verse 3. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. And the bit before, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. The reason this individual's rule will be perfect is because God is perfect and it's his law that this individual is going to be delighting in and upholding and carrying out. It's only God's law that can bring about fairness to that extent. Whenever we try to do it, and we'll get to why that is, it's imperfect, It's, it's, it's incomplete. You know, <laughs> I thought about this. Incomplete justice is no, not really justice at all, is it? It only goes so far, but it's not incomplete. And it's not really justice. And there's tons of things going on in every aspect of our lives that shows that we want someone. We want someone to rule. We want someone to be uh, unbiased, impartial and infallible. To get it right every time. To make no mistakes. Um, Next thing this king is going to do, and I was excited when I was preparing this, by the way, because I thought every single one of these things speak into something that is going on in the world. It's not not like the Bible is like, oh dear, we've got to look at this old... It's just just boring, isn't it? It doesn't say anything really of any relevance. No, it's absolutely relevant because it's God's word. It's going to allow people to worship God. All of the kings... In the Old Testament, you get, you get Israel under Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was stopping them from going and worshipping God. They could believe what they wanted, but they couldn't practice their faith. Pharaoh was the one who was tr- thinking he could do that. And all across the world, there are tons of occasions, isn't there? We're the exception. Where there's people who are actually 
under their human rule ruler, even if their human ruler is sympathetic to them, they can't bring about this freedom. They might want to. King Cyrus wanted to. We heard about that in Daniel. He wanted to protect Daniel, but he couldn't. And yet this ruler is going to be able to do that perfectly. He's going to always allow people and promote them worshipping God. Third thing, uh, protecting people from their enemies. This is slightly different from the last one, but it is, it is linked, isn't it? If you think about it, every time you switch on your TV, every time you watch some kind of news report, you mention something to do with violence or something to do with war. People's lives, maybe not ours sitting in this room, but characterised around the world, millions of people, it's every single day of their life that they come into contact with people who are trying to threaten or harm them. Or they live under the fear of people who are trying to threaten and harm them. Imagine um, the people in Ukraine, for example, or people who are no longer in Ukraine because of a a ruler that, that wanted to have their country. And now they can no longer live there. And imagine what it would be like for them. It's quite hard for us to imagine, isn't it? Because we're so used to this every day of our lives. But imagine a place where God creates, has a rule that means that there is no longer any threat or danger to anything or anyone. We're going to look at that in our second half in verses six to nine. But just hold that, hold that thought. And the last one, ensuring everyone has what they need. In verse four, with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. There is not going to be anyone in this new society, in this, in, under his rule, who lacks or goes without. Can you, can you even imagine what that's going to be like? Because, okay, in, in this room, we're, we're all people who probably have most of what we need. And yet, what is all the kind of chat going on? Well, my, my family chat is all about the gas bills and the rising in living prices. The fear we have, isn't it, that we might not have enough for what we need. And that there might be, and that people, you know, government might not even care that we don't have enough to pay the bills. So again, this isn't really hard for us to relate to. And that might just be something that has just recently come into our lives, the blip in our usual comfort. But, but again, this is something that characterises people's lives every single day all around the world. And yet he's going to be a king. Uh, he's going to decide uh, with righteousness and equity for the meek and for the poor. So I think actually, if we look to this list, we could all ascribe to this list. As in, we could all say, this, this one who will rule is just not, like no one else. Yes, we can see that there is attempts in everything that we do, every system, every real ruler we have under God that attempts to do this, but they, but they can't fully. Take any one of those. They can't completely protect people from, from enemies. They, they do their best, but they can't do that fully. They want to allow and give freedom to God's people to worship God, but there's always something people who will want to stop them doing that, believing and practising what what they believe. In every society there's ever been. 
And, and now we're hearing of one who will come. This, this ruler, this individual, this boy child who's born at Christmas, who will be king forever. We've just sung about him. The bit that stands out from this list, I said that this list could have been a description of what the kings were, were meant to do in the Old Testament, is right. They were meant to be righteous and, and dealing with justice, delighting in God's law. Why did they not do that? Yep, good point. They're only human. <laughs> so they're not powerful enough. But they're also not faithful. And we have two words right at the bottom of this list about this, this one uh, in verse 5. Righteousness, which I think is the righteous rule, the way he carries out his rule. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness, the belt of his loins. The problem with all the other kings, Saul, he was unfaithful to God and God withdrew his spirit from him. He gave it to David and David was good. He was better than Saul, much, much better. A prosperous time for the nation, but he committed adultery and murder. He was unfaithful. The reason why none of the earthly rulers can do this perfectly is because they compromise on their righteous rule by their unfaithfulness to God. If they are unfaithful to God, they cannot be faithful to what God wants. And leading us. Ruling us rightly because they're compromised. You know what it's like. Someone, someone in the workplace has fudged their tax returns. They're not going to be able to come down hard on the people who are also doing that. Because they're compromised. They're hypocrites. And yet there will be one who is faithful. And therefore he is able to faithfully rule. Because Jesus will be faithful. Because faithfulness will be the belt of his loins. He can be a righteous ruler. All the time. He can be the infallible adjudicator that we want. And what will it be like to live under this king, under this rule? This is where we sort of turn to sort of the experience of living under his rule. And I'm just going to read in verse 6 to 9 because it gives this picture language. And we have to, in, this, in the prophets, we do come across a lot of picture language. But uh, we're going to have a look, look at it together. Uh, verses 6 to 9. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb... And the leopard shall lie down with the young goats, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and, his, and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now just turn to the person next to you. Why this list of different animals? What's the feature? What do you think is the big point that is being made here? Just turn to the person next to you and chat for a few minutes. Okay, um, you've probably come up with some suggestions. Throw some of those ideas out. What, what kind of things do you think of this list? What, what do you notice straight away? So togetherness of what kind of animals? Yep. There seems to be some kind of distinction between the first one that's named and the second one that's named being slightly more vulnerable and weak. And the first one being more of a predator, more deadly, more threat. Okay. So we've got the hang of that. That's 
We've done it. We've done it. But what does it mean? What does it, what does it mean for the people that Isaiah is writing to? Which ones do you think they would associate themselves with? Is it the predator or the prey? Why? Remember what we've been hearing about what's going to happen to them. The nations, Assyria, and or, or the other guys who have teamed up against them. Um, King of Judah. Uh, what were their names? Rezin and Pika. Pika and Rezin, yeah. Um, uh, They've teamed up and they feel like the prey. They feel like the hunted ones, the ones who are vulnerable and weak. And actually, if you look at some other verses in the Bible, you can see some. Um, so, so this is what God promised to do back in chapter 10. He said, when I have finished all, the, all my work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the, the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. So God is going to judge these nations. They're not going to be allowed to do what they're doing forever. Yes, God will use them to bring about his punishment in the short term, but in the long term, they're also going to be judged. And you get these verses like this one from Jeremiah 5, verse 6. And you notice, look, a wolf, a lion, a wolf, a leopard. Same kind of language, isn't it? Even some of the same words. And it's used to describe those that, the nations that will come in and, and take them away. And so actually, we we do have to keep in mind what this would have been like for those first hearers of Isaiah. Because the reason this is so sweet to their ears is because of of what is happening in in their experience. And God is describing a reality and experience to come where there will be no hunted and, and hunter. There will be no threat to life. And these guys, you know, you can imagine their mouths watering at the thought of being there. Tell me more about this place. Where, where a child, an unweaned child, that's a baby, isn't it? A suckling baby can play in the hole of a venomous snake. Or a slightly older child can even put his hand onto the adder's den and not be harmed. And you notice where strength is harnessed perfectly. Um, If you look down with me, the little child is leading, in verse 6, a calf. And this is a place where strength will be harnessed so that a young child will lead them out, in verse 6. The prospect for them of a day and a king who himself is perfect and is therefore able to rule perfectly and of a place where they are perfectly secure. It's not... not sort of figurative, it's not hypothetical, it's, it's real for them. They would want that more than anything else. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean that, that there is a king who is going to rule rightly at all times for all people and that life under his rule is going to be like this? What does it mean for us? Well, if you're a, a Christian here today, Long for this kingdom. Long for this life under this king. Because there's so many situations as a Christian where you will be, uh, you'll feel the frustration or the, the annoyance or even the, the unfairness of life. And um, you can do one of two things. 
You can either say, life's not fair and I need to fight for my rights. Sometimes get Christians saying, I'm going to do that. We'll get to the fighting for other people's rights in just a moment, but I think that actually leads us away from the fact that we already have a king. We already have one who is faithful and who can rule righteously and will always, only ever, in eternity, do that for us. And I think sometimes as Christians we we think, okay, well, I am unjustly treated, so I'm going to fight for myself. Or I'm going to try and find someone else who can fight for me. And I I think that takes us away from the fact that we have Jesus. That we have his kingdom. Think of those situations in work where you've been unjustly treated. What's your gut response? Is it, I have a king who who righteously rules and is faithful and he will always do that in eternity for me? How, much, how different would that be if you, that was your first thoughts? Not, I, I need to go to my supervisor. I need to go to so-and-so. If I don't stand up for myself, who will stand up for me? That's our usual response, isn't it? And that's just Tom on a Monday morning. Um, <laughs> there is a difference between fighting for our own rights and fighting for the rights of others. And as Christians, we are called to stand up for those um, who are unjustly treated But notice it's standing up for them, doing it for them, using our our influence to to change things for them uh, rather than for ourselves and for those in poverty as well. And so that kind of list, you know, Jesus, yes, he he is ruling us and therefore characterised by our actions towards other people will be justice, fairness, compassion. And all of those other things. Um, But Jesus is the only faithful one to rule perfectly. And he will do that. So what would it look like for us to point people to him? In this unfairness that they face. And the difficulties that they face. What would it look like for us to point them to him? Because he's the only one that is going to be able to bring that about for them. And so the best way to love people is as Jesus did. Um, if you, just in that um, in Matthew, we looked at this last week. Uh, we read that passage in uh, chapter two. I think it is. Let me turn there. Sorry, chapter four. We read that passage where it says that Jesus begins his ministry, and how the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and on them a light has dawned. And what what is it that Jesus is doing? He's preaching. He's saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so for Jesus, the best way to love people is to point them to him as king and his kingdom. And as us as Christians, the best way we can love people is to tell them about Jesus, to point them to him as their king and to his coming kingdom. And that is the only way that they are going to be able to experience true justice, complete justice, uh, full provision, fairness, and equality for all. That's the only place they're going to be able to experience that. Before that, every other leader is going to let them down. 
Um, if, you're, if you're used to going to church, perhaps even at this time of year, it may be that you've never been confronted with who Jesus really is. Um, in that description from Isaiah, it says that um, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. In Revelation, when it describes him, it says that his, from his mouth will come a double-edged, sorry, a double-edged sword. That's the same picture, isn't it? It's not a, it's not a, du- a, dust, a feather duster coming out of his mouth. It's a sword because his word will cut down anyone who is proud, anyone who has sinned. His words will, will bring, them, bring, to, bring them to judgment. He only needs to speak and they will be judged. And so um, it can be that we've got this picture of Jesus, which is just a little bit domesticated. We've, we've made him out to be this, this Jesus who, is, who we can kind of just control. And he does a job for us, maybe helps us out from time to time when we praise him. Or maybe he, he just fixes the problem of, of getting us into heaven. And that's the Jesus that we've got. But the picture we get in the Bible isn't like that at all. It says that Jesus is holy. And his word is dangerous for those who are sinners. And we're all going to meet him. And the question is, are we on the right side of his justice through the cross and through forgiveness and his mercy? Or are we going to be on the receiving end of his judgment? Are we going to be on the right side in his kingdom with him as our king? ruling us perfectly because of what Jesus has done for us to get us there? Or are we going to be in, uh, eternally cast out of that place, living in, in the exact opposite place to what we've just heard of, without him to do all of those things for us? And if you're someone who just dabble in church from time to time, it may be that that penny hasn't dropped yet. And I would love it for you to just pray tonight, to call out to him for mercy. Because he wants to forgive you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. So you wouldn't face his judgment. But receive his unending love. Um, let's, have a, let's have a pray. Um, and I'll give you just a moment. Um, just where you are. Just to quietly think on what we've just been looking at from God's word. As God's been speaking to you. I'll give you a moment to, to do that now. Father God, you have promised a king who is faithful and therefore able to rule righteously forever. Uh, We're sorry that we have thought ourselves better at doing that job than you. We're sorry that we've looked to earthly rulers who themselves are unfaithful to provide what we need. And yet you are our loving king. You're compassionate enough to want to help us And you're powerful enough to do so. We are amazed that you would uh, be so lowly, so so meek, so humble as to come to earth. To take the lowest position. To experience the scorn and rejection of us all. To be hung on a, a lowly cross. To be given a criminal's death. Whereas you are the king of all kings, the lord of all lords. And your name is above every name. 
So we pray um, asking you for mercy, knowing that really our, our wrongs are against you. Our injustice is against you. We pray that you would rule us um, so that we would uh, learn to be like you. Please put your spirit in us. Give us a new heart, a heart of flesh that loves you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.